So we thought, what if we can make forms fun again? What if we can make a form builder that is actually enjoyable and that people like to use? Because forms are just really boring and it is a very competitive space but then we thought if we're going to bootstrap it it is easier to grab like one percent of a really big market than to grab 100 percent of a small niche one so just let's just try this we know the demand is there and that's how we came up with the idea of building tally hey everyone welcome back to the SaaS revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction growth and scale I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. All right, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show. I am your host, Alex Thuma, CEO founder of SaaStock. Delighted to be joined today by Marie Martens, who is joining us from Belgium. Thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me. Great to have you on the show. You're the CEO and, and co-founder of Tally. We met in March at Nathan Latka's SaaS Open event. And I remember I was sitting down having lunch. Nathan came over specifically to introduce you to, to me. So I appreciate that. And from there, we had a conversation. Obviously, I missed your talk at the event. You were one of the speakers. But from the context that I got of your talk, I thought like this could be great to get another great European founder on to, and bootstrapper onto the podcast. Since then, I know we spoke last week and this weekend, I'm just back from the founder member retreat, which we were talking about in sunny Mykonos, explaining to those watching on video, I've got sunburn on my nose. And we did, it was a funny one. We were expecting like really good weather out there because I just thought May, Mykonos, Greece, it's going to be beautiful sunshine. A few days before, one of the, the mentors, one of the more experienced founders that, that was joining us mentioned that actually he's been to Mykonos 50 times, right? It's a lot. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I think he's only early 30s, but he's been 50 times. And he said it gets very cold there, especially this time of year. And he said, make sure that you pack some winter, winter gear. And all of a sudden, the context of the next three days totally changed. So I just packed shorts, t-shirts, sunglasses, all of a sudden, I'm getting like hoodies, gelays, jeans, everything in there. And when we arrived on the Thursday, it was freezing, right? There's a real wind chill there. Everybody was in blankets outside at lunchtime. And I thought, oh, like uh, such bad luck that the next three days that we're not going to be in the sunshine. Like it mattered, but didn't matter because if you, the main thing was we're not there to sunbathe, right? But to get 40 it helps, to, yeah. it helps but to get 40 founders <laughs> together. And the forecast was terrible for the next two days. But actually, on Friday, we, co we woke up to beautiful sunshine. And then we spent all day out in the sunshine. And then on Saturday, all these European founders were full of sunburn. And we, <laughs> I can you know, we weren't really that prepared. So it, it was a really great time. And like I said, I've had 24 hours to recover. Now I'm back on the podcast and back to it. But so, Mary, we've met, but I still don't know that much about you. And our founders may know, or and listeners may know even less so let's start with the question, who is Marie Martens? Yeah, good question. So yeah, my name is Marie. I'm co-founder of Tally, which is a no-code form building tool, an alternative to Typeform or, or Google Forms, which you might know, or some tools that are better known. I'm, we're based in Belgium. I'm also born in Belgium, Bruges, a very small town here. I'm 34 years old and I founded Tally together with Philip, who is my technical co-founder, but also my partner in life. And together we have one 
two-year-old daughter and one son on the way, actually, who will be born, if all goes well, in, in October. So that's it for our family. Yeah, I was born and raised in Belgium. I've studied here as well, went to the university in Ghent, which is the city where we live now. I come from a family, my two parents are physiotherapists, so they do something completely different. But my sister, who's two years older, is active. She works at Media Monks, which is worldwide advertising company. So I think I got like the bug for marketing, advertising from her. I was always interested in media and the more creative work behind advertising. So that's why I chose to study like communication sciences at university. Afterwards, started working in one of the bigger publishing firms in publishing companies in Belgium, where I was also active in the marketing team, but more like on the commercial side, like selling advertisements on websites and newspapers and magazines to, to bigger brands. And after a couple of years, I think six years, I decided to go work for a startup, which was a digital product studio, a smaller agency. And I guess that's where I got to learn more about building digital products, how that whole life cycle works and more the product side of things and less like the marketing side of things. And yeah, a couple of years later, I met Philip and that's where our tally and joint startup adventure started. But that's, that's me in a nutshell. Congrats on the upcoming child due in October. Thank you. But one of the only reasons that we accept that people don't attend SASDOC in October, <laughs> but hopefully in 2024, uh, you can come and bring the kids as well. We've had a number of founders, as you can imagine, often founders can be like similar age. Like you mentioned, you I think you were, you're 34, right? And having like small kids. Um, and we say, bring them to the conference, right? <laughs> and see, and maybe there'll be future founders in the making, but still to be still to be proven. And your parents, you say physiotherapists, was there any pressure from them to follow in that path? Or was it kind of like total freedom, you find your own way? Yeah, no, not at all. The only requirement was they wanted us to go to university. So they had this pretty old school view, I think, on you need to get your diploma and your degree so you can get a good job afterwards. Also, because that's something that they didn't do, they they never managed to get like that university degree. So I guess that's something they wanted to like fix <laughs> through their children. Or that was definitely something that was important in our household. But it's not that it's something that we didn't want to do. So it's not like there was a struggle about that. But there was definitely no pressure to follow in their footsteps or to do the same thing like they wanted to do. They just wanted us to, to have a, a good job and, and to enjoy what we're doing. So yeah, no, no pressure on that side. No. Yeah, it's just interesting. And quickly on that yesterday, so I've got two girls, they're six and eight. We're talking about the schooling and finances and financing that schooling over the next whatever, 10 years or so. And something that I also had a lot of pressure in my age to go to university, and that was the path. And also my parents didn't go to university. I think it's one of the, these potentially generational things. But for me, now I'm an entrepreneur and have been for eight years, but now I'm an entrepreneur. I don't want to put that pressure on my kids to go into university. I want them to forge their own path and for them to have options. And we know many successful people that either have become entrepreneurs or have gone on to be a success and haven't used gone to university and many that have but I think it was almost like there was no option for me back then you, this is what you have to do and it was a yeah it was a, a quite a lot of pressure and, yeah. I think it's it might be a generational thing indeed because like for us we we under, I don't think that anything that I'm doing now 
or that the university has contributed to anything that I'm doing now. So it's a bit of an, an old school idea. I guess we would value a lot more that our kids try their own things or go do internships or start their own small startups and get started like that instead of instead of going to, to university. But yeah, that's how it went. <laughs> You're a bootstrapped entrepreneur. Also, your co-founder is your partner. Any advice to those? I'm getting so much of this sort of these days about co-founders being married and like any advice in terms of like how to make this work? Yeah, good question. I don't think we found like the perfect formula for that. It definitely got some time to get used to being like co-founders from just being partners. We didn't used to work together. When we met, we each had our jobs in different companies. It was only a couple of years after that we decided to to quit our jobs, but we might come to that part later that we decided to quit our jobs and work together. I guess for us, what really helped is that we have like our own roles and responsibilities. Philip is the technical brain. He designs, he builds the product. That's something that I don't have any experience with. So he asks for my like feedback, but I fully trust him on that part. And I just, I have a background in marketing, but now I'm a lot more busy with just running the startup, managing our customer support people, doing the financial side of things, trying to grow the community, like everything that is just not building or not technical, that's up to me. And he also trusts me on that part. So that kind of helps to just let go and just trust that we will do a good job. I guess for us, having kids uh, definitely didn't make it easier <laughs> timing wise, but it did help to like switch off once our daughter comes home in the evening. There's just little time to talk about work and you have to do something else. So it helps us to do, to disconnect and just have more fa family time with her. Before she was born, I think we were just nonstop 24 hours talking about Tali and working, which was also not a healthy situation to be in. In that regard, I guess maybe having a family helped us. But still, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes you have discussions. We also try to, like during weekdays, we each have like our week evenings where we can do things separately. See friends that separately go for dinner and we do feel like we really need that because we also work together during the day. So just give each other enough space and then be energized again for, for the next day. Tell us a little bit about the founding story and then also like why create an like not say another survey tool. There certainly it's a competitive space with a lot of great examples of big companies and Qualtrics and Survey Monkey and Typeform to name a few. So we've some great success stories. But yeah, so what's the founding story and why this survey space? So it's actually, we, Tally is not the first startup that we, that we founded together. We had this mutual dream of becoming digital nomads and traveling around the world while working on our own startup. And actually beginning 2020 for us seemed like the perfect time to, to do that. We didn't have kids yet. Philip had also sold his previous startup, Delta, which was something like a crypto portfolio application, something completely different. So we had a bit of a financial runway, I would say, to quit our jobs. I had worked for 
over 10 years and he as well so we had saved some money and we decided if we want to travel and try this out maybe this is a good time what's the worst thing that can happen and we had another idea which was called hotspot it's actually a platform that connects hotels with travel influencers to work together again something in a very different space and we had already built like a very simple version of it and we already had our first client so it was like our side project something that we did besides our jobs and then beginning 2020 we thought let's just go all in on it we feel like we can grow this we booked our tickets we were gonna travel in asia live in bali surf and work the classic digital nomad story but of course little did we know that you know that COVID was gonna hit so the pandemic hit in march which was just one the month where we when we left so we arrived in Bangkok for one week then everything shut down and we had to fly back and then we were in lockdown for the next year or longer and that also killed our first startup because we were active in travel all the hotels closed the hotels were the people that were paying us it seemed for us like impossible to find new clients because the whole industry was down so we gave ourselves a couple of months and then in the summer of that year we decided to brainstorm about new ideas because it seemed like the pandemic wasn't going anywhere. At first we thought, how long can this take? But it took a bit longer than we than we knew then. And form builders, very competitive space. But it was I had used a lot of form builders in my jobs, like at marketing manager. Philip had also used form builders before. And actually for Hotspot, we also needed some forms and we kind of ran into the problem of we were using Google Forms because it was free because we didn't really have budget but it didn't look like it didn't look great we couldn't really customize the forms but it was free so we just ended up using it and then there was Typeform or like Jotform but those got pretty expensive the moment you collect more responses because they have this volume-based pricing so we thought it would be good if there's like something in between like something free but also pretty and that offers some premium features but affordable for bootstrappers and at the same time we were also using Notion or started using Notion and we were really charmed by just yeah the interface of the product the way that it's like this community-led growth that they managed to achieve and it's just a product you want to you want to use it right like it's so fun to use so we thought what if we can make forms fun again what if we can make a form builder that is actually enjoyable and that people like to use because forms are just really boring and it is a very competitive space but then we thought if we're going to bootstrap it it is easier to grab like one percent of a really big market than to grab 100 percent of a small niche one so just let's just try this we know the demand is there and that's how we came up with the idea of building tally yeah can you share in terms of like where you are now some of the data behind the company what's the revenue how many people growth etc etc yeah, so we will turn three this year. The first two years, it was just me and Philip. And we are cur- we currently have 100,000 users worldwide. And we have a revenue of getting close to 60k MRR at this stage. And so Tally is the freemium product. Most of our users are using it for free. And around 2,500 users are paying customers and are basically the ones that yeah make sure that we can keep on building the product. Congrats, first of all. And why did you want to bootstrap it? And with the competitive market, 
how are you positioning yourselves? You use us instead of Typeform or use us instead of Qualtrics and so on. So the bootstrapping part, it's something that we doubted about it a lot. In the beginning, we thought if we can bootstrap it and if we can do it ourselves, why not? It's better to do it this way. After our launch, we got a lot of outreach and interest from investors, which kind of made us doubt. Is it like unambitious not to raise money and to just grow more slowly? But I guess in the end, we just thought about what's What's the most important thing for us now and how do we see our lives in the coming years also as a young family? So I think it was more of a lifestyle choice, like we wanted to build like this lifestyle business where we can work on a product that we love and live from it as well, create a sustainable income for our family. And so we just decided if we can manage to do that, we don't really mind growing a bit slower and more organically, but just staying bootstrapped and with also the idea that we have the control and we decide what we do and we can make the best, like the decisions in the best interest of our users and not necessarily in the best interest of investors who might want to raise prices or get you faster to, to more revenue. So it was a bit of a combination of those things that, that made us decide to stay bootstrapped. Yeah. Let's talk about how you got to where you are and to 60k MRR. So let's talk about first of all, getting those first users. So you're launching the product or you have the product competitive space. How are you getting the first users? Yeah, so we didn't have a network at all in the space. And we really started by just going to, and this is very practical, but a lot of people have asked, so I've learned that it's good advice for people who are just starting out. We would basically go to Product Hunt and look for similar tools. So as you said before, there's a lot of uh, form builders. At the time, there were also a lot of no-code tools being launched and still today. So we would look at like similar tools like ours, similar in functionality or similar in audience and see which people would upvote them. And then I would basically make lists like in a Google Sheet until I had thousands of people. And then I would just reach out to them, would f try to find their email or just their contact details. So really cold outreach and try to ask for their feedback. So I would just say, hey, we're Maria and Philip. We've built this new tool. It would be great to get your feedback if you, if you have five minutes to try it out. So that's what we did. And we did that like over and over again. Of course, we also tried to prioritize like other other founders, people that work in product or design, people that had a larger following on Twitter, just so the chances were hard, higher that they might try it out and maybe share it as well with their following. And we were lucky to have quite a few people respond. Of course, the response rate is quite low for this type of cold outreach. But that's how we found the first users. And those users also started joining our Slack channel, which we had from the very beginning, and started giving us feedback. And by them using it and by the product being for free, started growing from there. And we just kept on doing that until we had around 1000 users. Uh, it took us a couple of months. And then, yeah, at that time, our daughter was also born. So we had a bit of a delay. And then around five months later, after building our MVP, finding the first users, keep on adding more like basic functionality to the product, we decided to launch on Product Hunt ourselves because we felt like that was a good spot for us to launch the product publicly. And that was like the first, I would say, Big validation as well, because we doubled our user base, we got more paying customers like in one day, and we got tons of positive feedback. So then we thought, okay, we're on to something. 
there is a small piece of the very large form building market that we might be able to claim here. And that piece doesn't need to be that big because we're only two people, right? We don't need the revenue that the big competitors have. Our costs are a lot lower and so on. So that's how we found the first users, how we launched it from there. You did something that doesn't scale initially, which is obviously the, the advice. You had community-led growth baked because you thought about the Slack channel and bringing users in and getting the feedback and from that, some viral feedback loops, which is great. And obviously this freemium strategy as well, get the free users in, the barriers to entry then much lower and great for a product like this. It seems like all the right things. Then launching on product, you say doubling the user base. Tell us a little bit about launching on product hunt. We see a lot of companies do it. We see a lot of people don't do it. Obviously it worked out for you. Why did you do it? What was the process? So I'm imagining you didn't say, hey, we're going to launch on product hunt like tomorrow or next week, that there's probably quite a bit of prep that went on it. And then what the outcome? So you mentioned in terms of doubling the user base, which is great. But also, did you get to number one on the day that you launched? And then- Yeah, so we didn't, <laughs> spoiler, but it was a pretty eventful day. So it, no, it's not something we decided overnight. We we prepped for it quite well because we found it really was the first time that you expose your product to this, for us, relevant group of people. It was our first public launch. So we waited until we had enough features to, to launch. We didn't launch our very first MVP on there because then we would just get a lot of feedback like, oh, it looks great. You cannot even add logic or you cannot even embed your form. And so we made sure that we had what we thought was like the basic crucial functionality to compete on some level with other form builders. So we waited for that product wise. And then we also just, we had our first thousand users, which really helped us on the day itself, because that was like, those people could also support us and upvote us. So we made sure that we had our pitch ready. We we actually have a checklist of everything we did and templates on our blog, which I can share with you. So we just made sure we had all the copy, we had like social media updates, we had a newsletter prepared. We had reached out to some of our bigger fans and let them know that we are launching on that day and we would appreciate their support. We did all of that. So we made sure that we could also handle incoming traffic because sometimes when it's your first launch, you don't want the product to go down. So we made sure that infrastructure-wise, everything was okay. So we did put quite a lot of prep into it and the day of, of, of the product hunt launch. So we were basically number one for 23 hours of, of the day. And then the last hour, we lost three spots to, I don't know, I think it was something with NFTs at the time. And we ended up pro- being product number four. And so huge disappointment on the day itself. But then you also learn that the spot is not like the most important thing. Of course, it creates some extra visibility because then they take you in their newsletter and so on. But for us, we had a lot of eyeballs and new people coming in during the day. And also the coming days received a lot of feedback and got a lot of new incoming users. For us, it was definitely worthwhile. We're def- we're also thinking about launching like a Tally 2.0 now almost three three years later to do that again. You have products that do that way more often that launch like every new feature, which I, is also not something I would recommend, but we're definitely planning to do it again. And for us, it was world, worthwhile, especially because we have this product-led growth thing going on. And because 
Teleforms are, you can use Tally for free. And if you are a free form user, your form carries like a made with Tally badge. And so that's our biggest acquisition channel. Basically, our free users sharing forms with their respondents and getting in new users through their forms. And to be able to get like that flywheel spinning, we needed like the first set of 1,000 or 2,000 users. And that's just something that we got through the cold outreach and the product hunt launch. And then after that, it just started growing by itself because we had that initial set of a couple of thousand users using the product. So in that regard, it was definitely worth it for us to to launch. But of course, it depends on your product. I think free products also usually do better or freemium products. It depends a bit on your target audience as well. But I think for products like ours or most SaaS, it's definitely worth a shot. Yeah. It sounds like you're going to do all the right things. And that made by Tally, or if that was the sort of the, the, the badge, we've seen this in many other successful PLG product and like Typeform, I think as well, as well, made by Typeform. They had this sort of, I guess, kind of viral, I don't know what's the word, viral loop type product. Well, not every product can have that, right? Not every product has that, but that was a big part of their success. And I think similarly, companies like Hopin and things like that, you use the product, you get the experience, and then it's like, hey, we can do run a webinar on this or something like that. So very, is that something you always thought of from the beginning, we need to kind of have this and you saw that also that, hey, the competitors have this, so let's test that out and it does work. We did because we because we wanted to stay bootstrapped and it was just the two of us. We and we didn't have the big budgets or any budget. We also realized that we cannot compete like marketing wise with the bigger players. We don't have money enough to run ads or to any to do any of those things. So we needed something that could grow and sell itself. So that was like it because it also just works with the viral nature of forms so that's definitely something that we yeah that we were aware of from the beginning because we also thought that it would be difficult to scale the product otherwise without the viral loop built in and without having the big team and the bigger budgets yeah you decided to also make the leap from becoming two to i think you're now a team of five is, is that right or and growing yeah, so very recently. So we waited two years, which I think was also one of our biggest mistakes. Yes and no, meaning that, of course, when you don't raise funds, you have less budget to hire people. Hiring people is expensive. We were very conservative in that. Like we really waited until we had enough money on the bank to hire people. And we waited a bit too long. So we got after two years, we in year one, I think we had we ended the year with 8K MR and then Year two, we went to 30K and it just started growing a lot faster than we could manage. And we were basically spending our full days on customer support, bug fixing, just like trying to keep up. So we didn't even find the time anymore to hire someone, like it became that bad. And there was not really a reason why we had to wait that long. We just, it was just new to us and we were used to doing everything by ourselves. And I, I think that's the biggest mistake that we made. Like we waited too long. We got very stressed out. We couldn't ship any features like anymore for for months. And usually we ship like something every week. So that was starting to be bad for the product as well. So I think after two years, we just decided, okay, we need help. And luckily we found our first employee, Richard, in our Slack channel, who was already helping out people. And he joined us then as to help us out with customer support and just to help 
answer questions because we have a lot of free users and we also try to offer them good support, which is also one of our USPs and what kind of differentiates us from other players. Like we do try to answer everyone within the hour if it's daytime for us, which is something you usually don't get with bigger companies. And by talking to those people, we get feedback. We know what to build next. We turn them into our fans. So that really works for us. So we needed help on that front. Richard now, so that was a small half year ago, has left the company because he's starting his own business. So we now replace him with two people just to be able to cover two time zones. So we now have Jonathan and Malba, who actually only joined last week, helping us on. So it's customer support, but they do everything from updating our help center, making sure that all the feedback gets to the engineers, and of course, answering to all the queries on like Slack and email. So that's that's that. And then we also hired one engineer to help out Philip because he was still like building everything himself, but he was also taking care of the more technical side of customer support. So that would just yeah, became too much. So now it's a team of five, the, us two co-founders, one engineer and two people on customer support only since the last couple of months. And we feel like with this setup, like we can, we'll be good for this year and then next year we'll have to reevaluate that. Yeah. And what's the difference between, so like you, you have these 98,000 free users and, yeah. and 2,000 paying. What, why would you pay? What do you need to, what do you get additionally? How did you work out? This is how we're going to set the threshold and get a paying customer versus stay, stay for free. So paying customers are, of course, yeah, usually businesses. And the most important feature is with Tally Pro, the paying subscription, you can remove the mate with Tally Badge. So you don't see our branding. You can fully customize it to your own branding, which is pretty important for companies. And then there's a couple of other features like custom domains. You can host your form on on your own domain. You can send emails to your respondents or to other team members. We have payment forms, uh, which in the free version, they have like a commission that we take. So you can accept payments without a commission. I think those are the most most important features. So you mostly like customization and team collaboration as well. So you can invite team members to your workspace. And that's something that you cannot do with the free version. Let's move into the quickish fire round. What one thing has moved the needle the most for you in your career? So for me, I think it was like quitting my job, my my job as an employee and just jumping and trying to start my own business. This has completely changed my life and I really don't see how I could go back to 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 working for a boss again. So I think that decision really moved moved the needle for me. Yeah. I, I would say similar to me, and actually, without naming names at all, for the last weekend at the Sasslot Founder Member Retreat, we had a member who came to the retreat in Amalfi last year, but hadn't yet made that leap full time into the SaaS company. And I just remember a very long late night conversation, just really just trying to leave the well paid job, yeah, yeah, and go into this, and you won't regret it, and whatever's holding you back, and it was a fear and this massive salary that she was on and she felt that she couldn't leave it and had made a kind of rod of her own back was to say look you just got to do it right you've just got to do it you no regrets so good that you did it and hopefully other people listening make that leap make that leap what's the best advice you've ever received 
Yeah, I was, I've, there's a couple of things. I think for me, and that's something I also learned in my previous job, was, was more focused on software development, but like the whole ship it and tweak it mantra. Don't overthink to, things too much, especially when you're starting your own business. Don't spend like months on, on thinking of an idea, but just try to very quickly iterate, make something that functions reach out to people, share whatever you have, make a landing page or just a form. That's something we did as well. And just get started and then improve things gradually. Uh, that's something that has helped me a lot in just previous jobs, but also within Tally. Like we try not to overthink things too much and just go. We also fail once in a while, but it, as long as there's progress and you're moving forward, some good things will come out of it. So that's definitely one of them. And then the other cliche, but that we already talked about is like to do things that don't scale. And in the beginning, it was difficult for me because I came from a job managing a larger team talking a lot about processes and documenting things and then starting my own business where I just had to do a lot of things. And I was like making meeting notes from calls I had, like totally things that are not relevant, but things that are you just, you're used to doing that in your like corporate job. But if you just need to get your hands dirty and repeat whatever works, even if it doesn't scale at all to get your business or to launch anything really. What about the hardest thing about bootstrapping in 2023? I think there's a lot of things. I think for us personally, or no, let's start with if you're like new and you're, boot, you're starting out, I think just the fact that you're bootstrapping means that things might take a bit more time. You have less resources and time also means money. And it is, can be really stressful to just, as you said, the girl you were talking to, to quit your high paying job for a very uncertain future. And that's something I definitely had difficulties with as well in the beginning, especially when our first startup failed as well, because you have no idea when you will have made money again. And just living off your savings is really difficult. So I think that's something that I really struggled with. And there's no real solution to it. If you're bootstrapping, you won't have a salary for the first year or years to come. And you just need to try to make money as fast as possible in order to survive. But in our case, we decided to make this product that was very free because that kind of helped to sell it as well. But that also meant that we only started making money a bit later. So I think the financial part and you know, having like some financial runway is definitely a very difficult part, but that's just for any founder who wants to start, start a business. And for us, I guess also just to accept that we might move slower than competition that has raised funds and has a bigger team and has more resources. And especially now there's a lot of competitors in the space that potentially can move a lot faster than you because they have more funds and you just need to accept that and try to do the right things to, yeah, to stay competitive. Murray, we come to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for being a great guest today. Where can people find you if they want to reach out? And where can they find Tally if they want to check it out? Yeah, so Tally, you can find at tally.so. Uh, that's our website. And the main place where you can find me is on Twitter. And that's just at Mighty Martins. So that's where I try to share all our learnings and ups and downs about the bootstrapped life. Amazing. Are you building in public? 
We are a bit less lately than I would want to. It's been a couple of months since I've shared. I've tried to share like a blog post with all the data and everything we've learned every couple of months, but it's been a while. So I'm actually writing one right now, how we went from 30K to 60K and started growing the team. But we are building in public. We are sharing all our data publicly. Yeah. Mary Martins, co-founder at Tally. Thank you so much for being a great guest on the SaaS Revolution show and sharing with the SaaS.com community. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS.com conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.